So hello, Sam. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Great to have you with us today, it's, Sam. It's really great to have you in this space for this conversation, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and we were thinking earlier about how we would introduce you, and of course, the best way to introduce you is to get you to introduce yourself, because mm. it's always, of course, really interesting how how people introduce themselves, because mm. they know themselves best. So, um, Shall I? Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. Yeah, um, it's great to be here. I, I noticed, noted that I was quite excited about having this conversation with you both. Um, I think because, because I guess as we, as you were saying, Jane, there's a kind of meeting every time we meet, there's a kind of meeting, um, between us all, you know, together or separately, there's this sort of weird energy thing that happens where we, we get a bit excited and, um, <laughs> so let's do that today. Let's get a bit excited. <laughs> we talk quite quickly and <laughs> and we sort of speak to the future and the past all in the same moment as well as the present, of course. So, uh, my name is Sam. Uh, I'm a drama therapist, uh, storyteller, um, and. This morning when I was thinking about this conversation, I was thinking, I'm going to privilege Storyteller because I'm going to be talking to Dan and Jane. Uh, but also I go in and out of um, how I describe myself. I'm sure you do as well. Um, and I think I, I've never been able to drop that word um, somehow in, in most of my, my titles when I'm asked to introduce myself. Um, and a lot of my drama therapy work, if not all, um, it's generally about working with stories. Um, stories in archetypal stories, but actually much more recently, stories that emerge. So in the last couple of years, um, it's really been about the stories that emerge in the moment and what they have to offer us. So I'm a drama therapist, storyteller. I also do... Um, academic research which is about performing um I was an actor for 25 years before becoming a drama therapist and I also teach at Roehampton on the drama therapy MA and I teach at Central on the applied theatre MA mm, so that's me. thank you Sam oh certainly I can I really identify with that um well, who's my audience? When they ask you the question, who are you and what, what do you do? It's like, well, who is this audience? And mm-hmm. what's going to be helpful for them to hear? Because I can come at it, I feel I can come at it from so many different directions. And I loved something you said earlier about, um, these aren't your words, but suggesting of that, that blurring of boundaries between mm-hmm. our identities, that there's not a kind of firewall between them that we have to get through or mm. or that we have to hide a bit of our identities mm. that actually oh we're kind of fluidly all these things and it feels a lot more acceptable that now yeah. yes yes it does I think the thing that really chimed with me in that introduction was that you know you saying that uh, you might have worked a lot with archetypal stories but latterly or recently I've been working a lot with stories that emerge and certainly something that I absolutely love you know when we listen to other people's stories is hearing the archetypal in somebody's story you know as it emerges and they're telling 
their personal <laughs> story. They're telling something that happened to them when they were a child but it, or whatever. And in yeah. that, you can hear the archetype because the, yeah. the, blur, the blurring is so fine. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah, that's what I love as well. And I guess that's what I'm trained to see and hear and listen out for as a drama therapist. But actually, I think most of us that are storytellers, um, and one could argue if you're human, you're a storyteller. Most of us that have become artists, lucky enough to have become artists, kind of do that intuitively. But yes, that that space when um, particularly I think if the person you're working with isn't aware of the energy that arrives with the with the archetype with the metaphor with the symbol that they are drawn to using um, I love that space I mean I guess that is the space that holds the power for me that holds the magic um for me, um, in in that story space, it it is something outside of ourselves. For me, anyway, that jumps into the story space by way of metaphor, archetype, symbol, and starts to do its work on those of us listening. Absolutely, yes. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because. I'm I'm going to test this out. This popped into my head, and you can uh, you can disagree as well. But it feels like you can't see the metaphors and symbols in your own life. You need to speak your experience, and somebody else say, "Well, do you hear what you've just said?" Or this is what I this is what I hear in what you've just said. Does that feel true? It does feel true. Um, yeah. Again, I think um, often the moments of insight arrive in the work that I do with with children and women mostly um is it's when you reflect something back to them um in their own words that they have spoken just a second ago but haven't necessarily heard Mm. and and the power of hearing those words their words verbatim um spoken in another voice it coming from a relationship that they trust and know, um, it's, it's like a bam moment in, in their, inside themselves. Uh, and then they continue to do the work that they've already begun in sharing their story, which is, you know, uh, getting, getting to grips with their own insight um, and the power of that, because Lord knows there's nothing any of us can do really outside of that that um, outside of being alongside and listening and and offering and making invitations, mm. um, you know, no one else can heal you. No one else can give you what you need um, except yourself. But it's really helpful to have others alongside and listening. Um, yeah, well, I agree. Yeah, mm. no, I mean, I was get- Many times people, when they come on a workshop, say, I, I don't have a story or mm-hmm. I don't know what story I'm going to tell. Or So I, I'm just going to tell this story. It's not, you know, there's nothing particularly amazing about this story. And then they tell a story. And just as you've described, you can hear something in that story that mm-hmm. they haven't really heard yet in their own mm-hmm. story. So once that gets reflected back, because our unconscious and our subconscious has this kind of, you know, genius organizing power to just 
give us the right memory to work with to mm-hmm. light up the right story but it's mm-hmm. it's all in the power of the listening as well mm-hmm. that allows that story to emerge you know the power of being witnessed and listening mm-hmm. in telling something um yeah, yeah. To invoke that word that you used again is where the magic happens is in the listening absolutely yeah i was trying to remember when um how my story, um, and I don't know how many years ago it was, Jane, that I did um, your workshop, and I know we have since talked about it mm-hmm. um, over the years because, you know, it was, I, I wish I knew when it was because I guess I was definitely engaging with drama therapy at that time. I think I referred to myself then as a as a kind of actor and storyteller, um, uh but still, uh, and again this morning, I was thinking, I don't really remember much about the lead up to it I, because my memory doesn't work like that. I remember feelings and I remember the feeling of uh, I remember the feeling of um, my grandmother. I don't even remember how I got to her. I can't remember what your invitation was, and you might not, Jane. Um, but the feeling of her jumping into me to be, to, I, I can't remember much else except the feeling of her jumping into me and, and her voice coming through me. And I think the thing that I, when I think about that experience and when I've since met you, Jane, um, particularly because I think we, we've we had a couple of moments at least where we've talked about it over the years, um, is that I, I consider that experience to be very pivotal in my, in my journey as, um, as a more enlightened storyteller, but also as a drama therapist in terms of really understanding the power of story. Can't yet quite articulate what that power is, but it was such a visceral experience of the power of story. I remember that moment. I remember it so clearly because, and it's so interesting that you describe it as, you know, my grandmother jumping into me because it what, you know, and the invitation is, um, it's a kind of heritage storytelling exercise where we invite people to tell that one want to choose one of their grandparents and yeah. tell their story in the first person, which which I think is you know so you speak in the I um, as one of your grandparents and what I observed was that your physicality completely changed you know yeah. it was like your cell memory yeah. like woke up at the invitation yeah. to tell her story. And your physicality completely changed. You, you know, you, you you were sitting and you kind of leant on on both of your knees, mm. and you leant forward. And suddenly, it was like, you know, there's somebody else here. There's somebody else here. Yeah, I mean, there is a direct line, Jane, to that experience. Um, well, there are two lines. There's a line that leads back to my ancestors, and and. And the way that um, West Indians from their West African ancestors describe um, their 
their relatives who who have died. You know the way they speak about them. There's there's always a sense of them being present somehow. Um, so there's that line that I I had obviously known about that experience of being present with your ancestors that is in my heritage. So I, I'd obviously experienced that my whole life, and I, I've definitely thought about it as an actor and considered it to be part of my uh, gift from my ancestors uh, that I could use in my art form in, in terms of acting. Uh, but I think what then happened, so there was this, um, there's a line leading back to my ancestors, but I think the line then, or it was as if my heart opened in that moment to my line going forward in how I would then come to share my story in terms of academic research. So when I think of my performance, and I'm now doing another performance, um, which is, is now my dad's story, so, so uh, more, more closely aligned to my grandmother that, that came in that invitation with your work, the work of narrative. I'm now working on, her, uh, on his story um, and her magic. So I sort of, I, I, almost, I almost feel like when I think about it and write about it, that, that that experience was really integral to how I am now working um, in terms of my own research and trying to, to kind of heal myself and meet with my ancestors and allow them to come into the space to meet these other people that don't know or understand about the trauma of blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah it it's it's major i'm I'm so delighted to have had that experience. I knew it I knew it was going to be powerful. I didn't quite know that it would always be present in the way that it seems to be. You've touched on something a couple of times, Sam, which I think is really interesting. this idea of past, present, and future. You said when we meet, we seem to jump into all those three mm-hmm. spaces. Um, and you've touched on it again there that your exploration of the of that person from the past um, now this idea of um, embodying it in the present to tell it, but then that taking you into the future with mm. your work. Mm. Um, I'm really I'm really pleased that we've gone we've started to kind of go back into some of your heritage, some of the 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 kind of space that you explore through your heritage really interested you you it, i think it was about 10 years ago by the way i think that was when you came oh, i think it? i think it was about 10 years ago maybe a little bit less maybe nine but it was a while ago yeah um and so i'm um i'm interested we're starting to hear little flashes of bits of that heritage story of yours mm. so how does the making of work with your story now you said you're, you're working on your father's story to make mm-hmm. a piece of theater a performance of some sort yeah Is that right yeah. and you've worked on your mother's story as well mm. and how does that feed into your teaching work as a drama therapist or your therapy work as a drama therapist how do those things sit side by side or together or well the beautiful thing is is that it it fits in because it's about me, in a way. Um, I've always been a, a kind of um, a very open person, you know, having having um, been sent to Saturday morning drama classes when I was very little because uh, I was quite emotional as a child and my mum and dad felt it was important for me to have a, a space <laughs> to let that out. So I was sent to a Saturday class. Where was um, that, Sam? 
that was um, in a city outside of London. So I, I grew up in Hampshire, um, in Southampton. So, you know, quite quite an urban city, but but all the same, way back then in the 60s, like you, Jane, uh, 69, I was born, um, it, it felt so far away from London. It felt quite rural, you know, my sister and my brother had a kind of rural farmy type accent growing up. Um, and I came out with this RP accent that was, that was, was the teacher, um, cause it was speech and drama classes. So I had a very bad lisp as well. So my parents were so wise and they couldn't quite cope with my emotion because no one else in my family was as expressive. I was always crying, always spreading the love. It was always embodied very dramatic, uh, naturally. And I guess what that meant was because I had these Saturday classes from the age of four or five to 16, I then was going to become an actor. I did become an actor. Uh, so I have whatever that lovey-dovey thing is. Um, I love people, as most actors do. We're so interested, aren't we, in people? Mm. Uh, and I, I think that the reason I'm quite a good drama therapist now and the reason I'm quite a good lecturer and students always talk about it is that I'm really, I'm really eager, present. I want to be who I am. I want to be all of myself when I'm teaching. And so when I'm teaching, I'm naturally playful. I'm teasing. I speak to archetypes quite naturally. I invite them into the room uh, and I, I... share um, stories, very short stories, but we make up stories in the moment. Um, It's a very live space. So I guess, and the way that I think I have been able to do that quite naturally is because I have always been in a way engaging with my story. Mm. I think my story, sorry, Dan, this is a long way of going about it, but this, this is sort of where I am at the moment. I think because I've always been intrigued by my story and then becoming a drama therapist, the invitation is to work with your story. How can you be a therapist if you don't work on your own shit, deal with your own shit, meet with your own shit? I realised that in doing that, because I, I work with my own shit quite bravely, I was a brave actor, I'm a brave, you know, I was a brave trainee drama therapist, and I'm now a brave drama therapist. I'm there, all of me is there in that room, open, and I'm not afraid to talk to it. And the more work I do on my story, the more empowered I feel in doing that, the more I feel like I've got so much. I think all humans have so much to draw on that's about their own story. In a way, that is the magic, that if we if we have the space and time to interrogate ourselves, we, we sort of reimagine uh, as well as acknowledge our past, we 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 can kind of reimagine our past. We can empower our past. We can speak about our future. We can see our future. We can step into our future, mm. um, and that absolutely um, affects the present self. So, so I do kind of feel that I am, I am past, present, future. We all are, but I have a very real sense of it a visceral sense of all of those parts speaking at once in this thing, through this thing called Sam. I love that. 
that past, present, future thing, I, I just love it. Um, because I think, you know, in in some of our listening work, um, when whenever we step into doing story work with people, we start with listening. And one of the things that we identify as part of that process of clearing our listening, getting our listening ready to share and connect with other people, uh, is to get very present in the present. Mm. And we just talk about how the past crashes in from one side, potentially, and anything that's happened from the two minutes ago to when we were two years old, crashing mm -hmm. in from one side, the future and all the anxiety or anticipation and the excitement, the other side crashing in or, or pulling our attention away. Actually, it's not crashing. It's more like we're being stretched in either direction, mm. um, like one of those toys that you stretch the arms out and you're in the middle really struggling to just be here now, mm. embodied in this moment mm. with whoever you're with or with yourself. And um, so I love this thing of all of those things are really acknowledging that all those things are can't exist without the other, that they're all connected and they're all there at that moment. Yes. And we're on a, a line between one to the other. But the only place we really are is in this one now. Mm. I love what you're saying. There. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, quantum physics and how, you know, the there's increasing evidence that that's how time is really it's <laughs> happening. Like you say, yeah. that we are in, we are already in the future. Yes. But in some part of this body right now, mm. you know, we know where the story goes. Mm. And we of course certainly know where the story has come from, you know, and when you talk about how, you know, and yes, and I, and that's what I absolutely love about our conversations. And it is to do with your presence and how much, you give yourself in each moment and I really get that whenever we speak but that idea too of just welcoming in all the other voices all the people mm. that have come before you mm. to make you are are there as well and I love that idea that as an academic that those are voices that you can listen to as well that this you know that your research is not dry in any sense because what it is is listening to all the voices inside you. Yeah, yes. I, I Yeah, there are a couple of immediate responses. The stretching thing, Dan, I know that that um, it's kind of like a doll. It's a figure. It, it, well, there are lots of dolls-type figures that... I'm thinking of um, Toy Story, actually, a scene, I think, in Toy Story where I'm sure it was the, the lead character in the cowboy hat that... Woody. That, Woody, whose arms might have been stretched like that, but... But, but I know those toys as well, and I think that's um, it's a great image because I think that's often what the stress is about in in the human existence. And so I think what I have an experience of now is less, so much less of that stretch and much more about putting in somehow, accepting, bringing in all of those those kind of... The, the the kind of difficulty of time, you know, time exists for me in a kind of different way now that it's it's no longer linear. It, it it's much more about the kind of African sense of time, which is circular. And if I let go, as I am doing, uh, but it's a daily struggle because you know we're we're Westerners and and we think of this line yeah. often, don't we? But if I let go of that idea and I put myself in a circle, then time too can be 
um, experienced differently. I can have, I can have past, present, future, and it feels less problematic to me. It feels more like I have um, power over it somehow. Mm. Um, that I'm not having to kind of look down that horrible line of, you know, death and mortgage and career um, that's already been tracked out. Um, I can I can sort of have it in this circle uh, and and allow it to fade in and out and speak whenever it needs to. But it, somehow it feels more, I feel like I have more control over it. Mm. Um, and I wanted to speak to something you said, Jane, but I'm damned if I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't remember it. Was, yeah, I said something about all the voices that, you know, you you paying attention. Oh, yes, I know what it was. I think what we do when we are attracted to acting, um, perhaps in particular, but maybe not, but that's our art form that we all... is that somehow unconsciously we, we identify that there are many parts to our identity. Mm. Uh, and I don't know when... I don't know what way round it happens, but... But the art of acting is about stepping into or discovering these many parts that allows us and invites us and contains us in this very boundaried space of the actual stage, but also the script and the costume. We're very safe, safe enough to be mad, you know, in a character, safe enough to be bad, uh, bad. Yeah, exactly. Very, very bad, as I was when I was playing a witch in Sleeping Beauty. And so we have this extraordinary experience of getting to know ourselves in a very deep way. And all of our parts, um, it, it's as if we, this is my experience of it, and I, I guess I, I'm thinking about it a lot lately because I, I think that's something about the ritual of theatre as well, is that we, if we become conscious of it, as I'm trying to do more in the academic writing, um, it's, yes, it's a very powerful, insightful space to know all of these many different parts that are everything about what it means to be human, but often aren't, often aren't allowed to be spoken to. Mm. In other people's lives, you know, often they're not allowed to be to be all of the many things that we all are. Um, it's such a gift to be able to have that privilege to do that as an artist, as an actor. And then for me as a, thera a drama therapist in particular, which is absolutely connected to, to theatre practice. I'm really interested in the, your theatre practice. And I, I kind of asked you... Uh, I've asked you this in one way or already about how it connects and you related it to your to your teaching. But I'm interested in exploring those two stories as you've described them, your mother's and your father's. Um, where what the learning was um, that, that that has then fed into or is feeding into your academic research around performance? Oh, God, where do I start? That might be a very big question. Yeah, I, I suppose initially as I hear that question, I think, well, it's not about me, actually. I know this is contradicting what I just said. So one of the big surprises for me uh, in 
in coming to um, understand that this would be my academic research area, that it's, it's, in the first instance, it was about my mother. That was a big surprise to me. I, I think I thought it was going to be about me much right. more. Do you know what I mean? So of, course it, of course it is about me, but I sort of imagine telling my story as an actor. But instead, it, it, it was about my, my mother's story and how in engaging with my mother's story, what then arrives in the space clinically in terms of being a drama therapist, is attachment. So attachment as a kind of clinical theory when teaching is, is at the heart of everything. When you're working as a drama therapist with your clients, you're often in the realm of thinking about attachment. Mm. So the relationship that one had with, with one's mother and or father, the, certainly the, the major caregiver... Um, how that informs the person that you are now. So that was a big surprise to me that in in finding a suitcase that had been hidden up in the attic, in opening that suitcase and a wave of gut-wrenching pain flying out of a suitcase at the same time as my mother telling me that that's the suitcase that she arrived in England with, having travelled on her own and having said goodbye to her parents at the age of 17, a child. And in that same moment feeling like her mother and feeling completely overwhelmed with feeling pain, um i i sort of in a way what i experienced in that moment which was very complex very painful was what i needed to unpack with the academic research mm. um and i'm still unpacking it so somehow in having the capacity to feel what came out of that suitcase and I do think it was held in the object itself and I mm. I kind of I guess I kind of align that kind of um um ability to feel that with my ancestors uh, but it absolutely aligns with something of the ritual world that we we speak to in drama therapy but I think the real power of that I align with my West African ancestors I I suppose I've lost my thread, but I but there's something about what it means to be human and being taken to a clinical space that was very surprising to me, which absolutely informs my teaching and my academic research, mm. because then I have to think about that and understand uh, why my mum's story is so important mm. to the person that I am. You know, we, we, we know that in a way. We know that as therapists, certainly, that when you're when you're meeting with somebody, that their ancestors are coming into that room with them mm -hmm. in their stories. Um, because what happened to them in their life before is what arrives in the room. So I guess it, for me, it was just a very visceral experience of that. So that's that's where my academic research is. It's about that 
that space of completely lost my thread now, um, which is fine. Um, <laughs> um, There's so much for us oh, to yeah, up on for me. I mean, Joan and I did a, an online yoga class this morning. And at one point, we, with some essential oils. At one point, we took this essential oil and we were asked to um, just massage or make contact just around our belly buttons. Yeah. And she said, this is the space. This is where you were connected to your mother. And it's like, it hit me like a thunderbolt. <laughs> like I didn't know that, but yeah. but the embodiment... Em- this word embodied has come up a few times in my head as we've been speaking, like embodying stories, but getting that this morning at 10 o'clock, like, oh my gosh, that is where I was connected. And then you talking about that connection. Why do I, why, you know, what is it about my mother? Well, it's really visceral and there's no no getting away from that. Yeah. And that idea, because she's a um, Chinese medicine practitioner as well, that idea that, um, uh, in acupuncture, that's the one place that you you don't put a needle. We're coming back to <laughs> that is the one place that you that you can't put an acupuncture needle because it is it is so tender. It is so sacred. Our connection to our mother. That's where we first get our nourishment, our life. Well. I'll just tell you that one of the recurring images that I had while I was writing um, and choose to take with me was being chained to my ancestors, walking behind me via the umbilical cord going through all of us. Um, So no chain, but an umbilical cord going through each. And I was at the head of the the line uh, and, you know, my mother, grandmother, anyone who chose to appear or who chooses to appear in the future are behind me. And we're all connected via the belly button. So it's great to hear, Dan, that um, I had made the umbilical cord connection, but we really avoid our belly buttons, don't we? They're really weird. They're like, (laughs) we have all sorts of feelings that are uncomfortable. Um, and they serve no function, and they no. just go away, and they get dirty, and they're like, what are they doing? But they're very sensitive, too. They're very sensitive. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's... Yeah. The, the other thing you said, Sam, and I, I just got this image of, of you when you opened the case mm. that you've described, your mother's, her father's case, and how in that moment, that was, there's a kind of microcosm, like... In that moment is held everything that you need to unpack is kind of what I heard. Yeah. And I, I love that idea. Again, coming back to time, that everything is in that moment. Everything was in that moment. Um, I don't even think that I had... I don't think I've articulated it like that before, Dan, uh, until this moment. Hmm. I, I really... I really want to show you the suitcase. May I? Please. Please. And then we can... <laughs> We can describe it. Um, so, there. so yeah. in a brown case with mm. with wooden 
kind of structured kind of lines around it, yeah. bands around it with metal on the corners. Yeah. That looks really sturdy. I'm not surprised it's kind of looks in such good nick. So yeah. well made case that. Yeah, I mean it has been it's not been restored, although restoration was one of the one of the things that I was seeking in my ritual theatre performance. I'm trying to see if you can see any handwriting. Um you can just about you might not be able to see it, but that is the side that my 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 grandfather's my maternal grandfather's hand. It's very heavy, so I'm gonna put it down. <laughs> you, you'll have to my... What what do the words say that are written? Oh what do the words say? Um oh, Jesus. Saint Vincent. I don't know. I haven't looked at it for a while. St. Vincent. St. Vincent. It just puts me in mind of the volcano and where St. Vincent, you know, what St. Vincent are having to meet with at the moment. So bringing us right into the present moment, or this week anyway, because mm. um, I know that, yes, you had mentioned what last weekend and the volcano, what that had that it had had an impact on you. Yeah, yes. Again, it's heritage, isn't it? It's it's all of the things that we might sometimes think don't matter, but um, my parents relocated. In fact, it, it's so connected to that suitcase because the reason that suitcase appeared uh, 2017, Christmas 2017, was because my parents were packing to return, to relocate back to St Vincent, having been here in England, arrived when they were teenagers. So it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, God, it's big. Um, it's big. Um, did, did your, did the boat come into Southampton? Well, do you know, it wasn't until I decided to, because of what arrived in that suitcase, that I actually came to know my father's and my mother's story. So I had assumed that they both came by plane because they were quite late arriving. They were like the latter Windrush. So they arrived, um, I think it was very late 50s or, or 1960 even. Um, late 50s, probably. So my mum was put on a plane on her own at the age of 17 having said goodbye to her parents um, with that suitcase. That's the only thing she had. Um, and my dad, I couldn't believe that they hadn't told me, but generational thing, I guess. My dad arrived on a ship to Southampton. Uh, so I, I just didn't even know that he'd come on a ship I, um, because nobody can swim in my family. <laughs> and um, even though my dad grew up by the sea prior to that for the first 17 years of his life he lived by the sea his most of his family still lived by the sea but but you'll probably know that kind of traditionally there's a kind of stereotypical view held by um, black communities often which is that they're not great swimmers I don't know if you've ever heard that but one of the narratives that that um, I certainly heard as a child is that our bones are too heavy, something like that. Anyway, I was quite interested in that idea of my dad arriving by ship because I was 
also engaging with the, the Windrush scandal and thinking about how much the sea plays a part in uh, the, the story of colonialism mm. and, and my story. So, yeah, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> there was, there was something that you said earlier, which was you used the expression, well, it was something like, I want to communicate the experience of blackness. That's, that that's part of your your mission um, what what does that what does that mean to you uh, it means hard work um, hard painful beautiful trauma work that feels important because I can't quite believe that I live in a world where where black people are treated so badly. Um, it, it, it dumbfounds me when I think about it. I don't understand it. Mm. So I I want to understand it. Um, I wish I didn't have to want to understand it, but there is a need in me that wants to understand what is it that that allows racism to persist? And how can I meet human to human, um, with people without, without being in fear of my life. Now, being in fear of my life is, is it's a dramatic statement, uh, but it's a very real statement for me at the moment. Um, Re-pandemic and um, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, I've never felt, um, I've never had a sense of feeling unsafe ever. And I, I really put that down to theatre. I just didn't, uh, I didn't allow my blackness to be an issue for me or anyone else. I just did what I needed to do and followed my dream path. But when you become a therapist, you have to meet with your darkest fears. Um, and the, what's arrived with pandemic is that our darkest fears, whoever we are, are just there for us all to hear, to listen to or not. And so at the moment, I'm meeting with my darkest fear, which is to understand why. Why do people fear us so much? How, how, how has it happened that my history as a black woman is so aligned with torture and therefore trauma? Why must I have to worry about my black brother, nephews, knowing that being black male means that their chances of encountering violence are so much higher than mine? Mm. Um, why must I have to be consumed by that thought right now. You know, I, it's not a thought that I, unconsciously it was always there, but I wasn't always engaging with it. So so it, it's just what has arrived. Um, it's been creeping. It's been creeping since I began therapy, um, which I did a year before 
the 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 MA. So that must be at least been a drama therapist for six years or so, five or six years. Yeah, around about nine years ago, I guess, is when I probably started therapy, around about the same time that I I did your wonderful workshop and my grandmother jumped into my skin. Mm. Yeah, so it's a tricky one. And, and uh, so it's about, it's about me needing to understand what it is about blackness. Uh, and when I say blackness, I'm talking about not just the the being or the culture. For me, there's something about the symbol of black as well that arrives with black people that's probably projected onto them. Um, And because as humans, we naturally have a fear of black, dark spaces. We naturally do. We know they are needed. We need rest. But sometimes closing our eyes is even difficult And sometimes we wake up in the dead of night with um, fears that appear only then in Mm. the middle of the night because they're more potent. Mm. And there's something about the black experience that's very potent. There's something about the black story that's very potent. And that's to do with the way we carry it with us, the language we use, the way we move through the world. We're very embodied people. So we, we are... People feel us, and that that can be frightening. And and we're we're called black people. Black as a kind of wider human symbol is a very difficult place for us to engage with. So I'm really interested in what arrives with black. I want to understand it more, both the black story, but the power of symbol in the human psyche. Um and where those two two places meet, the power of the symbol of black meeting with the black story, where they meet in the real world and what that looks like. And the way that I've chosen to do it is, is by performing, and performing my mother's story in the first instance with a suitcase, which was a surprise, as I said. And now the next surprise is that I'm, I'm now performing my dad's story, which... Mm. And I'm I'm in there, of course, but again, it's about attachment. It's about something that happened to my dad when he was very little. It's not about it, but that's that 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 was my starting place. A story that I heard while I was in um researching my the the first play. We went to the Caribbean together to kind of drop my parents off in the Caribbean to live their new life. And we we stopped off in Trinidad and met some family. Um, before we got to St Vincent and there I heard a story about my dad that blew my mind and my grandmother I mean more about my grandmother which blew my mind and I then I then knew a bit like the suitcase okay that's the next that's the next performance Mm. so the working title is um, Black Magic Black Magic how can this black British drama therapist out the shadow archetypes of empire? Wow. Wow. It's interesting, Sam. Both times that you, you brought up making this show uh, about your dad, there's the way you said it, there's been a kind of 
bit of a frown and a bit of a, like, either like you didn't want to or didn't expect to or like why or how, what, uh, what's that? It's, it, it's that you think you know and then you don't know. It, it, right. I had no idea that I would be um, with my mother's story so much and I had no idea that I would be with my, my dad's story and my grandmother's story so much. It's just, you know, it's such a surprise to me what arrives when you're working with the magic, with the medicine of creativity. Mm. There's no planning. There's just, there's just this... You know what? What you need to have as an artist is you step into this space of unknowing, of uncertainty, and you have to be open to what arrives. And I'm just so surprised, you know, by what arrives as the next story. And I can't believe that I didn't know it. You know, it's a kind of bloody hell. Do I know anything? No, clearly not. But how great! Because wouldn't it be? Dull if we went through life really knowing and everything being confirmed. Yeah, well, I knew I knew all this. Yeah, and yeah. actually, that's that's where our life is in curiosity of not knowing. And yeah. great that you're still exploring and learning stuff. Yeah, I mean, what the the thing for me that I think has been extraordinary about this pandemic is the is just the the space that it has given for a different kind of reflection so that's you know the the fact that black lives matter i mean it's uh, you know of course what happened to george floyd is is unspeakable but it is being spoken and it's there and it's present because mm -hmm. the opportunity just as you are considering your blackness and what that means mm. is that I'm finding myself in a space where I'm thinking about my whiteness mm. and what is it about whiteness? Mm. Um, you know, for the first time in my life at my age, I mean, you know, and I, and that's, and it's been there for me before, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. And something about this time yes. gives us the opportunity yeah. Just notice things that we haven't questioned. Absolutely, we and haven't I, been allowed to see it really, or not allowed. We haven't been able to see it. Haven't been, yeah, yeah. I do think that that pandemic is some sort of magnifying glass, mm. um, and and the thing that makes engaging with my own blackness quite different at this time is that never before, and I'm sure people. You know, I'm sure there are there were people in the civil rights movement in America that did experience something of this, but never before have I experienced it in my lifetime, of the sense of white people. It's very difficult for me to say that phrase, even though I've grown up with people saying black people all the time. It's sort of but what I mean by that is is the sense of white people, and I'm giving myself permission to say it kind of as a, a kind of acknowledgement of, yeah, no, there is a kind of white collective. Uh, in, in the way that black people are talked about. But white people, I've never had the sense before in my lifetime of white people, individuals and in the collective whiteness, being prepared to look inside themselves and meet with racism. The astonishing thing about the black story is that racism, unconsciously or consciously, is always considered to be the black man's problem. 
And so the burden is double. You know, it's not just what, you know, what happens to you being black. It's that sense of, of not being able to fight racism because apparently it's our problem. So to experience right now my friends alongside me looking at themselves going inwards, you know, really meeting with uh, white fragility, um, uh, as the title of the book says, and, and what it means and what what you hold individually as a white person, but also collectively in terms of the, the shared history of colonialism. Mm. Why have we never insisted that that happened before. I mean, we probably have, but it's never happened in the way it feels like it's happening now. Mm-hmm. And that for me is just, it's very, you know, it, it feels oh, just like a new a new possibility for real change, um, which is great. Everybody's talking about it, but not just talking, doing the work, the internal work, that's required, that's um, frightening. But I suppose my knowledge of being black, my lived experience of being black is that in that space of meeting with racism, other things arrive. Now, whether you would use the language that I am using now with you, you, you may use a different language, but my language is, it's a kind of jumping that what, I, what I'm engaging with in my new paper is that institution, history, past... Um, arrives in that space like a kind of spooky, moving realm um, that is resistance, that says we must not change, we cannot change, we cannot give up power, we cannot accept that um, my history, perhaps personal history, but certainly Collective history is connected to the torture of black people. We can't go there because everything would have to change. And so I think that I think the story of blackness is so deep and so painful that it asks something of us all that's much bigger than we envisage. It's much more powerful than we envisage because it goes to the very heart, I think, of, of human nature. The other side of that, though, is that I I sort of think that because it's such a big, complex story is that inside that space, when we are engaging with it, when we feel contained, when we have the tools to meet with it, when we're open enough, the learning that arrives with it, the insight that arrives with it doesn't just pertain to the black story or to the black and white story, re-racism. It pertains to everything about what it means to be human. Um, which I love. I mean, I'm sure that's the case for a lot of the universal human issues such as war, that when we do step into those spaces, when we're brave enough to meet with that trauma, um, that owning somehow the pain that's been inflicted on people, um, the insight that arrives is beautiful and so rich with learning that it just ripples, 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 ripples into every other area Mm. of our lives, our relationships, our way of moving through the world, everything. Um, When we think about racism, another image, recurring image that arrived with, with me when I was writing my first paper was 
a desert landscape and the sun was was present it was hot and there were two male figures from way distant sort of walking towards each other and and at first they felt comforted by seeing this the same form the same human form ah we're both human that's not an animal coming that's a human with some relaxation and then the closer they got to each other they were then able to see but no it's not the same it's a black human and a white human and then there was a very instinctive you know kind of fight or flight jump into the body I need to prepare to look after myself I need to survive this encounter and then the kind of further reflection in that meeting in that vision that arrived as a recurring vision was the need to find a shared language to meet each other to survive this potential encounter that was very frightening and rightfully so. I think that's what I do with theatre and with story and with the spaces that I hold as a lecturer and a drama therapist and hopefully what I hope to bring to the conference, that in that space we are looking for a new language together And it's mostly about listening, a visceral listening that will bring a new language into the space. And that language doesn't have to be defined. It will be whatever arrives in terms of responses. Fantastic. I think that feels like a lovely place to just pause what I think is an ongoing conversation (laughs) with you, Sam. So many tributaries, one big river.